0: Okay, I will admit that I'm a little bit nervous tonight, because I'm going to be sharing with you some things that I have hardly ever talked about publicly. One time, when I was at Weimar years ago, I wove some of this into a talk, but I have never really done what I'm going to do tonight. This is not a a polished sermon, this is more of a story that the Lord has convicted me in the light of what's happening in our world that this uh, hopefully will be very valuable to a lot of people. Uh, I've titled my talk, I Burned Ellen White's Books. So let's pray before we get into this and before I share what I'm gonna share. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, In the name of Jesus, I pray, we pray for the Holy Spirit to please be here. I pray for the holy angels to be around all of us. I pray that you will bless the things that I share. May Jesus be lifted up. Help me to say the things you want me to say. Please go deep into our hearts. And teach us the things that you want us to know as we we get ready for your coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I would like to start out with a couple of verses in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22, verse 7. 22, 7. And in my Bible, these words are in red, which, uh, what does that mean? That's right, that these words came, come directly from Jesus himself. 22.7, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. God has given us the book of Revelation. Jesus has given us the book of Revelation. And he wants us to, to hold on to the words that he's given us in this book. Now, if you go back to chapter 12, verse 17, 1217, the Bible says, and these are the words of this book, 1217 says that the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went off to do what? To make war. That's right. With the remnant of her seed who keep the commandments of God. And what else do they have? That's right. They have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And this is the word of God. This is, uh, this is part of the words of the prophecy of this book that God wants us to, to keep and to hold on to. In chapter 19, verse 10, and most of you know these verses, chapter 19, verse 10, defines the testimony of Jesus. Verse 10, at the end of the verse, 19:10, says the testimony of Jesus is what? It's the spirit of prophecy, spirit of prophecy. that's right. And, and these are the word, all of these are words from the prophecy of this book. The Bible tells us that God is gonna have a remnant people and that remnant people are going to have the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. And then we need to hold on to what is written in this book. Seventh-day Adventists officially believe, and I believe this as well, that the gift of prophecy was manifested from Jesus himself, because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, from Jesus himself through a little lady that uh, used to be nicknamed the little lady who loved Jesus, and her name was Ellen White, who lived in the 1800s. We believe that that gift that God gave to Ellen White, points us to the Bible, points us to Jesus, and is designed to help us to get ready for the second coming of Christ. Now, let me give you some background about my life. I think most of this is just a story. It's not really, I'm not going to really be preaching tonight, I'm just going to be telling you you my story. Uh, I grew up in the Hollywood Hills of Southern California, I grew up... In a, in a good home, uh, a Jewish home, but it was a very secular home. We never, we never read the Bible, sad to say. Jewish people used to be called people of the book, but today we're not people of the book. Uh, I, for the first 20 years of my life, I never touched a Bible. I never prayed one prayer for 20 years. My family, we never went to the synagogue, except for my brother bar mitzvah. We never went to church. We didn't, uh, we didn't talk to God. We had some, some uh, Passover celebrations with neighbors when Passover season came along. And I, I vaguely remember the matzah balls and the, uh, the, the soup and the horseradish sauce that I didn't eat because it was much too spicy for me. And the empty chair for Elijah. Anybody familiar with any of that? And they have what's called a Passover uh, Passover Seder, Jewish traditions. And that's about all I really know about, or at least remember, about my childhood and and about Judaism. Uh, As a young boy growing up, with my mother and my father and my brother Mike and my sister Kathy, I was a typical kid, got into skateboards when I was seven or eight, started playing basketball, bowling, uh, swimming, hiking, fishing, fishing with my dad, used to do a lot of fishing with my dad. When I was about 13 or 14, I remember being picked up by uh, the school bus taking the neighborhood kids to the local public uh, junior high school. And I was about, like I said, 14 years old and I still remember one of the girls that lived in my neighborhood, we were sitting together in the back of the bus and she handed me a smoking object a burning object, which was not not a cigarette. Uh, Back in those days, they called it a joint. And she handed it to me, way at the back of the bus, and she said, here, Steve, take a toke." I still remember that, take a toke. And I uh, thought about, well, the bus driver's way up there, and I'm way back here, and the chances are the smoke's not going to get up there, and no one will say anything. And my parents had never really raised me and told me just say no to drugs. I didn't say that. So I thought about it, and you know I didn't want it to uh, look like a, you know, a wimp or something. And so I reached out, and I took it, and I took my first inhale of, uh, of, of marijuana. Bill Clinton says he didn't inhale. I did inhale, for <laughs> sure. And so I, I started smoking pot. We called it Pot marijuana, and I did that for um, about six years. Just about every day I was smoking marijuana. It's what my buddies did. We got into harder drugs. They say marijuana is a gateway drug, and it's true. I went from marijuana to quaaludes to something called cocaine and eventually to LSD. I have friends or had friends that are dead because they. one friend uh, drank too much alcohol developed a liver disease, and it killed him. Another girlfriend of mine, or a friend that was a girl, uh, she, uh, she wasn't my girlfriend, but she was a friend, and I found out one, one evening that uh, Lisa Cordero had overdosed on quaaludes, and she was dead. And it could have easily happened to me. I lived a wild life as a teenager, a rather dangerous life staying up till four in the morning, going out to the discos. That was the John Travolta day. And uh, that's what my buddies and I were into. We started going to the rock and roll concerts. We started staying out real late at at the discos and going to big parties in the Hollywood area up in the Hollywood Hills. And my life was on a fast track to destruction. No religion, no God, nothing. Well, I'm gonna make a long story short In the year 1979, I was 20 years old. I was lost as lost could be. And I turned on the television set one day at my dad's house, and there was a friendly-looking man looking at me with a Bible in his hand. And he said, hello, friend. Welcome to It Is Written Television. (laughs) And you know who that was? George Vandeman, Pastor George Vandeman. And I only watched Pastor Bannerman one time. As I watched that program, it was a half-hour program, and it uh, it really interested me because he was so friendly, and he just seemed so pleasant, and he had his Bible, and he went from Bible text after Bible text after Bible text, which I had never seen in my life. And his topic was the seventh-day Sabbath. Watched him one time. At the end of his uh, half-hour program, he looked right at me, And he held up a little book called A Day to Remember. And he looked at me and he said, he said, friend, call me up. Call the 800 number on the screen. Call me up, and I'll send you this book for free. And so at that point, uh, I I felt this strange, moving. Go to the phone and call that man. (laughs) And so I did. I didn't know that it was the Holy Spirit doing that. didn't know that there was a Holy Spirit. But this conviction column. So I called, uh, ordered the book, didn't know it, but the phone rang at Andrews University. One of the AIM operators answered the phone. And about four days later, the book arrived uh, in my mailbox. I sat down and I read it, cover to cover, one sitting at the back of the book. There was a little line at the very end that said, come visit a Seventh-day Adventist church sometime and say hello. So I looked at that, and I thought, wow, Seventh-day Adventist. What in the world is a Seventh-day Adventist? There's a lot of people out there that don't know. Probably with Ben Carson running for president, more people know. But uh, not, I didn't know. I had never heard, I thought I had never heard that name before, and I thought, Seventh-day Adventist, Seventh-day Adventist, what in the world is that? And then there was a hazy memory that came up in my head. About four months earlier, I was in a health food store, believe it or not. I was a a pot-smoking, disco-dancing person that liked to go to health food stores. (laughs) Liked to eat uh, avocado sprout sandwiches, because we were into natural things. Marijuana, natural, sprouts, natural. (laughs) That's the way we thought back then. So I was in a health food store with a buddy of mine and we were uh, I was buying food and he was talking he struck up a conversation with one of the workers at the health food store who was spraying the produce with the- he was misting the produce. And they talked and I bought the food. And as I walked out, we walked out, my friend and I walked out together, and he said, Hey, you know that guy that I was talking to that was spraying the vegetables? He said, That guy is a seventh-day adventist. And I thought, so?
1: <laughs>
0: Big deal. And it pretty much went one ear, went in one ear, out the other ear, but somewhere it lodged. And so after I read Pastor Vandeman's book, and I thought about that uh, phrase, Seventh-day Adventist, I thought, oh yeah, there's that guy at the health food store who is watering the vegetables. So I got in my car, and I drove out to, to Northridge uh, in the San Fernando Valley, and I found the health food store, walked up the stairs, walked into the market, and looked around for that man. And lo and behold, I saw him. He was standing over by the smoothie bar, and I walked up to him, and I reached out my hand, and I said, hi, uh, my name is Steve Wahlberg. Would you mind if I went to church with you some Saturday? <laughs> now, what would you say? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, uh, you don't even have to be much of a missionary to do that. Here I, here I was walking right up to him saying, please, would you take me to church? (laughs) So he said, sure. Reached out his hand. He said, my name's Richard. Nice to meet you. So about maybe two uh, Sabbaths later, for the first time in my life, this lost, disco-dancing, cocaine-snorting, pot-smoking Jew walked into a Seventh-day Adventist church for the first time, and I met the pastor. The pastor's name was Pastor Church. (laughs) Anybody know Pastor Church, J.B. Church? He's dead now. But uh, anyway, he was a godly man, wonderful man. And he invited me into his office. He was a missionary pastor. And he recognized this new kid that had walked into his church. He brought me into his office, sat me down, asked me questions. How'd you get here? Who are you? What's your background? And we talked for a while. And after a little bit, he reached into his bookshelf behind him. And he pulled out a copy. He pulled off the shelf a book called The Desire of Ages. Familiar with The Desire of Ages? Yeah. On the Life of Jesus, written by Ellen White. And he handed me the book, and he said, he said, Steve, I'd like to give this to you. He said, I want you to go home, and I want you to read this book. And I thought, all right, I'll do it. I wasn't really a big reader back then, but I thought, I'll do it. Uh, I had no idea that Ellen White wrote, wrote the book, didn't think about it, didn't know anything about it, really didn't care but he just handed me the book, and he said, go home and read this book. So I did. I, at that time, I was shocked, so I moved out of my dad's house, and I was living uh, in a dorm in, at Cal State Northridge, taking my third year of college. It was a crazy dorm. With, uh, the cafeteria became a disco on Saturday nights. I could smell the marijuana smoke going down the halls. It was a co-ed dorm. It was crazy. And there I am, sitting in the dorm, and I have a copy of The Desire of Ages. And so I started to read this book. And I, you know, I'm going to make a long story short, but I tell you, that book just gripped, it gripped my heart. And when I finally got to chapter 74, which has, had a one-word title, and the title was Gethsemane. I read that chapter, and by the time I was done with that chapter, I was a different person. The Lord made a move on me, I saw the love of Jesus like I, had, like I had never known. I mean, I didn't even know. When I started reading The Desire of Ages, I didn't realize that when I got to the end of the book that Jesus was going to die. I didn't know anything about him at all. And this book just walked me right down through his life based on the Bible. I didn't even think who the author was, didn't think about it, didn't care. All I saw was as I read the book, Little by little, Jesus began to speak to my heart through the Holy Spirit and, and show me his love and his grace and his power. And when I got to the, like I said, when I got to the chapter on Gethsemane, I saw him suffering for me. There was a couple pictures in the book. One where he was, he was kneeling by a rock in the garden and he had his hand on his heart. And, uh, and an angel was standing behind him with his hand on his shoulder and i just looked at this picture of jesus and i looked at his face and i thought he looks so sad why is he so sad why is this angel coming down and uh, and and comforting him and little by little the lord and to me this was the biggest miracle of all little by little the lord helped me to understand that jesus was my messiah he was my savior he was God's own son in human form that was suffering and agonizing for me. Whether he was going to drink my cup of sin and pay the price and die a death that I should have died. Well, I tell you, uh, I don't remember exactly. I don't, know what, don't remember what day it was. But after I read that chapter, I got on my knees and I've never been on my knees before. And I prayed a prayer. I don't remember the prayer. Something like, dear Jesus, I believe that you're real. I believe that you're there. And if you want me, if you still will have me, I pray that you'll forgive my sins and come into my life. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Something like that. And I tell you, when I prayed that prayer, Something happened to me. I felt this burden of guilt lift off my, my mind, my conscience. And I, now, this doesn't always happen, you know, people don't always have this remarkable experience. But for me, I, I, I felt a presence and a peace come into me that I'd never felt before. And I remember thinking to myself, when I, when I felt this peace, when I was on my knees, I remember thinking to myself, I thought, wow, this is better than drugs.
1: This is great.
0: This is wonderful. And, uh, and the Lord was, he came into my life. I remember the next day after I did that, I woke up in the morning and, I, and I, I thought to myself, was it all a dream that I just dreamed? That I accepted Jesus? And then I realized, no, this wasn't a dream. This is real. And I got up in the morning, and I just went, praise God. This is real. And I, I was so excited as a brand-new Christian, my life was changed. And I I experienced God's power come into me like I'd never known. And I know that the Lord used the book The Desire of Ages to help bring me to himself. I know it. I'm positive. It was so, so real. Well, again, I'm gonna make a long story short. Uh, Within a very short time, I landed at La Sierra College, transferred from Cal State Northridge, over to La Sierra College. Uh, I asked Pastor Church, I said, I read the book you gave me and wow, my life has changed and I don't really wanna go to Northridge anymore. I wanna study the Bible. So he recommended that I go to La Sierra. Found out that La Sierra was about an hour away. Uh, It hadn't started yet. I went there, I met the Dean of Religion. He knew Pastor Church. He said that's a good recommendation. I went to the ad building to enroll for classes. The lady said to me, well, I, she said, well, uh, what do you want to study? And I said, I, just, I know I'm here to study the Bible. And she said, you can, be, uh, you can be a religion major with an emphasis on pastoral or education. And I didn't, had no idea what either one of those meant. And I just said off the top of my head, I said, uh, pastoral. And so, unknown <laughs> to me, she enrolled me in the ministry. That's what happened. And one of my first classes, when I got to La Sierra, moved into the dorm, from one dorm to the other dorm, Sierra Towers, one of my very first classes was called Life and Teachings of Jesus, and guess what my textbook was? Desire of Ages. Desire of Ages. And I just looked at all that and I said, wow, this is amazing. Uh, the Lord is, is good. He's in my life, and I started taking classes. And I was at La Sierra for three years, Graduated in 1982 and I had three good years at La Sierra, I really did. Uh, the Lord did wonderful things and I just was so excited. Um, different things happen, I won't go into everything, but I, I will tell you one, one experience at La Sierra. Uh, one day I was in the dorm room by myself. My roommate was gone and I was there in the Sierra Towers and I was reading, I was reading the testimonies I went from Desire of Ages to Great Controversy to Early Writings and then to the Testimonies. I, was just, I thought to myself, I'd like to read some more books that this person, whoever this Ellen White is. So I went, like I said, through, I just, just started devouring these books. And one day I was reading the Testimonies, Ellen White's Testimonies to the Church. And I was in my room on my knees, and as I was reading the Testimonies, I tell you, once again, the power of the Lord came into the room and I could feel it. It was like there were angels all around me. And I remember opening my eyes on my knees and the presence of God was so thick in that room that you could almost just cut it with a knife. And I opened my eyes and I looked across my bed and my Bible was laying over on the bed, open. And I reached over and with like my hand going through, I mean it was thick. I reached over. I put my hand on the Bible. And I pulled it over to myself. And I looked down. And my eyes fell. On Revelation chapter 3. Verse 11. Revelation chapter 3. Verse 11. I looked down. And this is what I read. Behold. I am coming quickly. And these were the words of Jesus, are the words of Jesus. Hold fast what you have that no one take your crown. And I tell you, these words were like fire. They just burned into me. And I knew the Lord was talking to me. And he was telling me, Steve, hold on to what you have. Don't let anybody take it away from you. Well, I graduated from La Sierra, and I went to Bakersfield. I was hired by the Central California Conference as a young pastor. Went to Bakersfield, pastored uh, in Bakersfield for a year as an intern under two other pastors, and then the conference sent me to the seminary for my, uh, and now this was my fifth year of being a Christian Three years at La Sierra, one year in Bakersfield. My fifth year, I was on my way to Andrews. So I went to Andrews, and I was there for two years, 1983 to 1985. I moved into a dorm, another dorm, spent a lot of time in dorms. Moved into a a dorm called Berman Hall. Anybody ever been to Berman Hall? Some of you, okay. The dorm is still there today. Now, here's where things start getting, uh, this is where the struggle. Somewhere along the line, maybe during the latter time of uh, La Sierra and while I was in Bakersfield and when I got to the seminary, somewhere down the line, something started happening inside my heart. Little by little, I began to, uh, to sense a distance between me and Jesus. The sense of his peace and his, his presence, and I didn't, I didn't feel it every day, you know, a sense of God's power and presence every day, but I, I, I did know that God was with me. I saw all the evidences of, of his direction. But little by little, as my Christian life journeyed on, that peace that I had when I first got on my knees and asked Jesus to come into my heart, that peace just started seeping out of me it just started going away. And I didn't really realize, realize it at first. It was sort of an unconscious thing. But uh, I, I wasn't as, as happy as I was before. And I started focusing on you know, doing more things to try to reconnect with the Lord and the piece just uh, slowly went away. And so my first year at the seminary, I started struggling. And I remember grabbing the Desire of Ages and trying to reread the book. And for some reason, as I read Desire of Ages, it just, uh, it just wasn't speaking to me like it did originally. It, I wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't connecting with my heart like it did at the beginning. And to be honest with you, I had no clue as to why this was happening. I was sort of a simple Christian that was uh, excited about the Lord, and the excitement started going away, and I didn't know why. And I couldn't figure it out. For the life of me, I couldn't figure it out. And eventually, the, uh, the, the inner turmoil that just grew, you know, because I'm here, I am a, in the seminary, I'm said to be a pastor Still praying in the morning. I'm having my devotion, my devotions, but something's just not gelling, and it's bothering me. It's bothering me. You know, it can kind of imagine like a marriage where you know you have this wonderful uh, first love experience, and then as time goes on, you know you you start struggling more with uh, your relationship with your spouse, and things aren't so easy as they were at first. And I was struggling. Well, my second year. I actually got sick during the first year at the seminary. They called it, they diagnosed it as mono. They said I had mono, which I don't know if that was a correct diagnosis or not, but uh, you know, my spiritual life was, was suffering, and my body started suffering. And so I was actually out of school for two weeks. Couldn't do anything. Just basically laid down in the dormitory room, and thankfully I was able to catch up when, uh, when I got better. My second year at the seminary, things got more intense. I had a friend of mine, a a friend from La Sierra, who I met at La Sierra, who was a fellow theology student. And he moved to the seminary during my second year. I'm not going to mention his name. But uh, he and I roomed together that second year. This was in 1985. And my friend started out, he became a Christian through reading Steps to Christ, just like I had read Desire of Ages. But his his experience started struggling as well. And he started getting into um, books on psychology, Christian psychology, secular psychology. He'd read the Bible, he'd read psychology, and he started developing various kinds of theories to try to integrate both of them. And we talked a lot. When, I was, uh, when we roomed together. And I told him all about my struggles. And he was struggling too. And he started recommending some books that he read, that he liked, uh, one of which I remember well. It was called Make Friends With Your Shadow by a guy named uh, William Miller. <laughs> Different William Miller than the Adventist William Miller from the past but he recommended I read that book and it's a, it's a book that kind of integrates Christianity and psychology and the basic idea of the book is that we all have a dark side which we do we have a sinful nature and that the way to become whole as a person is to embrace not resist but embrace the dark side and when the dark side becomes conscious and you embrace this and you stop hiding from your evil side but you accept it as part of you, that's how you grow uh, as a person. And of course, there's some truth to that, that we do need to realize that we're sinners, but we don't want to embrace the dark side. And I didn't really realize that because I was confused and I was trying, I was trying to find peace again. And here's my roommate telling me, you need to read these books. And so I did, and um, one night... My roommate and I were in the room and we were having a conversation. And, uh, and I, I, it might have been after he had gone to sleep. And I sensed that there was a presence that had come into that room. It was not the same presence that came in when I was at La Sierra, it was a different presence. It was a, it was a dark presence. And I remember thinking about the book, Make Friends with Your Shadow, and I thought, Maybe I need to uh, embrace this, and maybe it'll help me to become whole. Big mistake. And so I did. <clears throat> I let it in. I embraced it. And the strangest thing happened. As soon as I did that, I felt uh, powerful. And I remember getting up out of my bed, walking out of my dorm room, walking into the bathroom. It was a joint bathroom uh, on I think we're on the fifth floor. And I, I looked at myself in the mirror. And I, I saw myself as being very, very powerful and very strong. I felt like I had tremendous energy, like I could do anything. And, uh, and I looked at myself and I thought, I don't think this is good. <laughs> I don't think this is good. I don't really want to be like this. And I remember talking to my friend about this after I had this experience. And he said, uh, he recognized that this was a bad spirit, and he said, and I told him about how I was following the advice of the book, embrace, uh, make friends with your shadow, and uh, he said, he said, Steve, there's some shadows you don't want to make friends with. And he was right. Well, anyway, uh, a lot happened during those days, and I stopped reading Ellen White's books because by that time, it was very difficult for me to read them. I, I would read some of her writings, and I just couldn't, you know, couldn't relate to them at all anymore. Um, they just weren't really talking to my heart, and I uh, started reading the psychology books more, and at one point, my, my roommate, he knew that I was, I was struggling with, well, what do I do with Ellen White? And he made a suggestion to me, and he wasn't doing it to be rebellious I wasn't doing it to be rebellious, at least consciously, but he suggested, he said, Steve, you need to, he said, in order for you to get some psychological healing, and I I was also reading books about uh, self-esteem and self-worth and how important it is that I like myself, and I, I wasn't liking myself at that time because... Uh, I, I would read Ellen White's books and try to read the Bible, and it wasn't connecting, and I felt, I felt condemned. I felt guilty. In fact, one time I went to an ABC, walked, walked in, was looking around for books, and there was a whole shelf of Ellen White's writings on the, in the back. And just to see all those Ellen White books, they just, uh, you know, it was a, a terrible weight on me. I, I, did, I just didn't, I just thought, wow, you know, I, I can't relate to those books anymore. And uh, I feel guilty even being around them. And so my friend suggested to me, he said, Steve, I think you need to make a break for psychological healing. You need to heal your emotions and your mind. You need to make a break. And he said, I suggest that we, uh, we take all your Ellen White books. We take them out to the back of Berman Hall in the forest, and we have a bonfire. And I don't like I said I don't think he was thinking that he was uh, you know being rebellious to do this. He was just thinking this would be this would be good for me emotionally and spiritually. So I thought all right we'll do it. So I took all my testimonies, I took my Conflict of Ages series, I took my early writings, selected messages, amount of blessings, all the books that I had in my library, and we put them in a box. And we carried them out off into the distance behind the dorm, into the forest, and we gathered them up, and we lit a match, and the fire started burning. And we prayed over the bonfire. (laughs) We prayed that the Lord would uh, heal me and help me to get over the condemnation and the guilt and this sense of a lack of peace. And that this would be a good thing. Well, uh, all the books burned up. And you know, the Lord was looking down on me. And he knew that I was very, very confused. But you know, he still loved me. Isn't that good? I, I, even, I burned Ellen White's books. And God still loved me. Well, my time at the seminary came to an end. My roommate and I separated. And I was uh, brought back to the Central California Conference because uh, I was a sponsored seminary student. And when I got back, I landed in uh, a little church in Pacifica, California, next to San Francisco. And I pastored two churches, a little church, a little Russian church, in the city and the Pacifica Church, which was more in a, in a rural area just south of uh, Daly City, and so I, I, wasn't, I wasn't married. I moved into a little apartment by myself, right next to the beach, right on a cliff, overlooking the water, the Pacific Ocean. And uh, there I am now. I passed me two churches, and I uh, my church wanted me to hold a Revelation seminar. So I thought, all right, I'll do it, and I did it. I held the Revelation seminar, went through the prophecies of the Bible. But uh, and and the Lord blessed it. People came to him, but the peace again inside me was still not there, and my my intense struggle uh, deepened. And I finally I finally got to the crossroads. I reached a point where I thought to myself, I cannot continue to be a Seventh Day Adventist pastor and hold Revelation seminars and talk about the Sabbath and all these Bible truths when uh, something is really wrong within my life. and uh, I, I, Because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want it to be real, or I don't want it. And so, one night, I turned off the lights in my apartment. And I got on my knees, and I prayed. And I said, God... I'm at the crossroads. I don 't know what to do. I don 't feel you like I used to feel you. I don 't sense your presence like I used to sense your presence. I'm just not a happy Christian anymore. and I don 't know what to do. And I have, I guess, a couple of choices: I'm gonna either, uh, either going to get I'm either going to find you or I 'm going out the door. I'm going back to the world. I'm going back to North Hollywood. I 'll try to get a job. I'll do what I can do, because I cannot continue to live this kind of life. I just can't do it. So, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? Help me. God, you've got to help me. I cried out to him. My favorite psalm at that time was Psalm 88, because you read that psalm and there's no light in it. It's all darkness. When you get to the end of that psalm, David says, the darkness is my closest friend. And I could really relate to that soul. I thought, wow, that's me. And so I prayed and I said, Lord, what do I do? And, and, I, and I'll tell you what happened. There was a, an impression that came to my mind. And the impression was this. Pray for the spirit of truth to guide you into all truth. That's a quote from John chapter 16, verse 13. Where Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth. And that thought came to me, pray for the Holy Spirit. So I started doing that. I, started, I said, all right, Lord, I'm gonna pray for the Spirit of Truth. So I said, God, give me, the whole, give me the Spirit of Truth. Help me to sort through all this confusion in my mind, psychology, Christian psychology, my roommate, Ellen White, the bonfire, the Revelation seminar, all of this. What do I do? So I started praying that. And as I started praying, praying that, somewhere during that period, I opened the Bible and I read another verse. And I want to show you this verse. It's in Psalm 119, verse 67. Psalm 119, verse 67. And I just, I looked down <laughs> and I read this verse. And I take this verse was like a like a, a beam of light that shone into my darkened mind. And here it is. I, I read this. David said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. And I read that text and I thought about it, and I thought, wait a minute. I thought, well, I surely, am, I surely am afflicted. I'm struggling with all kinds of things. Emotionally. <clears throat> and then I thought, I looked at this text, before, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. And I remember thinking to myself, is it possible that my affliction and my struggles and, and all of this is because before all this started, I strayed? from the word of God? Is that possible? And then I read verse 71. It says, it is good, it was good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. And I read that and I thought, I I tell you, I was right at the crossroads. Was I going to go back to the world or try to reconnect with God? And this verse spoke to me. It penetrated into the darkness. And the text impressed me that I need to get back to the word of God. Back to the word of God. Have I strayed from the word of God to follow the opinions of men? And and at that point, I made a decision in the dark, on my knees, in my apartment. And my decision was this. I'm going to go back. I'm going to retrace my steps. And step by step by step, I'm going to keep praying for the Holy Spirit, praying for the Spirit of Truth. I'm going to retrace my steps and go back to the Bible and go back to the cross. And and right around that time, I thought I'm going to go back to Ellen White's writings. I'm going to try it again. In fact, I'm going to grab the testimonies so I can I can really get the meat, the meat stuff. Because man, I need something strong. I need some strong medicine. So when I made that choice, you know, I, I didn't see you know I didn't see these things with my with my uh, visible eyes but when I decided in my mind I'm going to go back to the Bible back to the cross and I'm going to even start rereading the testimonies it seemed to me like there were all these faces inside my head that were looking at me going like this no, don't go back no, 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 no they were all there resisting me Saying, don't do it. And I looked at those faces and I thought, I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm going back. So I started reading the testimonies and I started reading the Bible. And uh, somewhere during that period, I started studying about Lucifer. I read about Lucifer in Isaiah that he exalted himself. And I started, uh, I, I was impressed with that, that Satan, that Lucifer became proud. And I thought, am I proud? Have I been proud? As a Christian, have I been proud? As a new born-again believer with a great testimony that I've come out of North Hollywood, I've given up my drugs, now I'm a follower of Jesus. What was was Pride woven in to my testimony somehow. And I started studying. I thought, I'm going to start studying pride. So I studied pride in the Bible. I read about Babylon being proud. I read about Assyria being proud. Nineveh being proud. Israel being proud. Exalting herself, and then she died. I read about Jesus telling the parable of the proud Pharisee in the temple, praying with himself. And I tell you, um, little by little, the Lord convicted me that I was actually a very proud Christian. It was very subtle. I didn't know it. I didn't see it. I didn't understand it. But it was, it was there. Now, I read another verse during that time. Turn to Jeremiah Chapter 13. And then I'm going to read read to you a quotation that I found. Where is that quote? Here it is. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 15. The Bible says... Give give ear and hear. Do not be proud, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness and before your feet stumble on the dark mountains. Ellen White talks about the dark mountains of unbelief before your feet stumble on the dark mountains. And while you are looking for light, which is what I was doing. I was looking for light, but I was looking in the wrong places. While you are looking for light, he turns it into the shadow of death. And he makes it dense darkness. But if you will not hear, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken away captive. And that was me. I was in the dark mountains of unbelief and I was being being taken captive by the devil and I didn't even know it. And I looked at this and I thought, wow, Lord. Now, let me share something with you that I read. This is a quotation from Sermons and Talks, Volume 1, page 58. Listen to this. Ellen White wrote, The lower we lie at the foot of the cross, the more clear will be our view of Christ. But just as soon as we begin to lift ourselves up, And to think that we are something. The view of Christ grows dimmer and dimmer. And Satan steps in. So that we cannot see him at all. Wow. And I tell you, that was me. That's that's what happened to me. That's why... You're asking for the reference again? It's uh, Sermons and Talks, Volume 1, page 58. And when I read that, the Holy Spirit that I had been praying for again and again and again, the Spirit of Truth to guide me to all truth, he helped me to understand. Just like when I first read The Desire of Ages in the dorm room at Cal State Northridge, and the Holy Spirit showed me Gethsemane and the so now, six or seven years later, he, he brought me back and he showed me, he said, Steve, this is why you're having, you had your spiritual struggles. This is why you lost a sense of the presence of God. This is why your peace went away. It's because of self. It's because you, you started lifting yourself up Even as a Christian, even as a Seventh-day Adventist, born-again Christian who knew the truth, you started lifting yourself up. And as you slowly lifted yourself up, your vision of the cross got dimmer and dimmer until Satan stepped in and he made a move on you. And that's what happened in the dorm in Berman Hall when I embraced the shadow. I tell you. Uh, now I'm going to tell you something else that may shock you, but you need to know this. That when I started praying for the spirit of truth in the, in that uh, apartment in San Francisco, praying and praying and praying more and more, little by little, the the pieces came together. Little by little I began to see myself in a new light. Little by little I realized that I was the problem, not Ellen White. It was me, not her, not Jesus, not the Bible. The problem was Steve Wahlberg. And as I sensed the spirit of God trying to come in more and more, now you you may not believe this, but I'm telling you the truth, as I would pray, I could feel demonic forces coming up. I could feel the Lord coming in and wanting to drive them out. Because remember when I, I told you I looked at the mirror in the dorm room, uh, in the bathroom, and I saw myself being very powerful. Satan came into me to some extent at that, at that time. And God wanted to drive him out. And so there were many, many, many times, I can't tell you how many times it happened uh, during the course of a number of years, After I was in San Francisco, I eventually went to Weimar, landed at Weimar Academy, uh, went into self-supporting work, left the conference, and went back to uh, to kind of round out my education. I was teaching uh, teenagers, high school kids, the Bible. And even during that period, many, many, many times as I would be on my knees praying, Lord, give me more of the Holy Spirit, I could feel this pressure coming up, pressure coming up. And I'd pray, Lord, give me the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit would convict me deeper of my own sin, my own self, my own pride, I could feel this, this uh, thing. And there were lots of times when I'd be on my knees and I'd pray and I would feel them coming up and I'd grab onto uh, to the couch or the chair or something and I'd go, ah! And oh! Uh, I could feel something coming out of me. And then I'd go, oh, Wow. Another one's gone. Another one's gone. And this happened many, many, many times. I tell you, the battle is real. We are in an intense war with the demonic. Uh, Acts chapter twenty-six verse eighteen. Twenty six eighteen. Jesus told Saul, who had just become Paul, when the bright light shone on him and knocked him off his horse on the way to Damascus, Jesus said, I'm going to deliver you, verse 17, I'm going to deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith, which is in me. Amen. And I learned in a way that I could never learn. I've, I would have never learned. So in a way, it was good for me to be afflicted, that I might learn your word. And I have learned things that I could never have learned any other way. I've learned about the battle, I've learned about the struggle. And when I got to Weimar, I started rereading Steps to Christ. And little by little by little, the Lord taught me back through Steps to Christ and through, uh, I read the whole 1888 materials. I did a lot of study on on, uh, righteousness by faith. And I rediscovered the message that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the price for all of my sins. And through faith in him, and trust in him, and reliance on him alone, God will justify me. And uh, it says in Steps to Christ, page 62, that sinful though your life may have been, for his sake you are counted righteous. Christ's character stands in the place of, of your character and you are accepted before God just as if you had not sinned. And, and that became so real to me, so real to me and little by little the Bible came back alive to me. And Ellen White's writings started speaking to me again and I can read about Jesus in Gethsemane and on the cross and it touches me. It moves me. Many times I stand in front of audiences these days and I just cry. I just cry. Because of what Jesus has done for me. Especially now that I'm a dad. I think about my kids. My seven-year-old daughter and my 11-year-old son. And I think, God, I prayed today. I prayed today. I prayed out there in that by the uh, water. I went out on that little island. You know, the little... the bridge it takes you out to the island, and I went out there and I prayed. I said, Father, I said, Father, you gave your son for me. I said, Father, I'm a father. Save my son. Save my son. Save my daughter. Save my wife. And God has taught me through all my struggles. You know why he's blessed White Horse Media so much? He's blessed our ministry so much because God has taught me to stick to the word. Stick to the word. Stick to the truth and to pray that self will be put aside and make room for the Holy Spirit to work through me. God's taught me that. And I have a lot to learn still. I'm not, as WD for Z used to say, God is not going to take us out of the oven half-baked. <laughs> He's going to bake us thoroughly. Uh, Daniel 12, verse 10, says, many shall be purified, made white and tried. The wicked will do wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. But the wise will understand. And the Lord has been so good to me, and he's taught me. And so, brothers and sisters, I'm back. I'm not at the crossroads anymore, like I was in San Francisco. I'm not in the darkness anymore. Jesus, praise God, Jesus is very, very real to me. His word is alive. And when I read the testimonies, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't bother me like they did before. Because Jesus uh, is in my life. And he's taught me that I need I need straight talk, straight medicine, because that's what my soul needs. And I'm in a battle with a real devil who wants to destroy me and I've decided I'm not going with him. I told him that. I told him that. I went out in the field a field years ago outside of Soquel camp meeting. I got on my knees and I, I Shouted out loud and I by myself. I said, Satan, you're not going to have me. I'm not going with you. I'm I'm serving you notice. I'm not going with you. I'm going to go with Jesus. I'm going to stick with him. I'm going to stick with the word. And may God uh, help me and help you. May he teach us the lessons of humility. And uh, kneeling low at the foot of the cross where we can find the power of God. I'm going to close with uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. And I hope this has been a blessing to you. I have a feeling there's a lot of Seventh-day Adventists who struggle with the spirit of prophecy. They struggle uh, with the writings of Ellen White many times before they go out the door. And there are many of us that are in the church that struggle. And I've learned that my struggles were because of me. I was the problem. Not the writings of White. And that was a very important revelation. Lucifer refused to accept that. That the problem was him. It says in Patriarchs and Prophets that uh, before Lucifer finally went off the deep end in heaven... It says that through ways that only infinite wisdom and love could devise, Lucifer was made to see his error. He saw that the problem was not God, it was him. And he saw where his rebellion would take him. And God urged him to come back. And it says in Patriarchs and Prophets that Lucifer saw all that and he had to make a choice. And, his, and it says his pride forbade him and he would not go back. He would not go back. And I've realized that I have to overcome where Lucifer failed. Lucifer decided I'm not going back. I'm going to hold on to self. And I had the same decision to make and so do you. We all have that same decision. When God convicts us the problem's us, we have to make a choice. Am I going to accept correction or am I going to set my course and go my own way? Lucifer went his own way. I've decided, Lord, I don't want my own way. I want your way. Your way is the best way. Yes. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Bible says that the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ and Revelation 19 verse 10 says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy and Revelation 22, verse 7 says, Blessed are those who keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book. This is the truth of God. And we've got to hold on to it and not let it go. I'll close with this. Uh, perhaps you've heard this before. I, I don't know where the reference is. I, I can't. Re- I'd have to look for it but I, I put these notes together just in the last couple of days. But I, I seem to remember that uh, A.G. Daniels, who was a, our general conference president in the early 1900s, that uh, he was struggling concerning things that Sister White was saying, various uh, issues he was struggling with. And he apparently had some kind of a dream or something where Jesus spoke to him. And he said to Daniels, He said, if you stand by my servant, referring to Ellen White, until her sun sets in a bright sky, I will stand by you until the close of the conflict. Have you ever heard that? Anybody ever heard that? Okay, you've heard it. If Jesus said to Daniel, if you stand by my servant, I'll stand by you until the close of the conflict. Pray for me. Pray for me if you have a mind to. Um, We all need prayer. We're moving into the final scenes of the great controversy. The battle is on and it's intense. And there's a real devil. There are real evil angels. There's a real Holy Spirit. And God's word is the truth. So let's kneel together and let's pray. The Lord will help us to stand on his side no matter what. Dear Father in Heaven, dear God, in the name of Jesus, your Holy Son, your loving Son, thank you for being here. I sense your presence here tonight. Thank you. Thank you that you You didn't leave me when I did all those things that I did. I burned those books, but you didn't leave me. You you stayed with me, and you've helped me, and you've brought me back to the Bible and to the spirit of prophecy. And I pray that you will be with every, every one of us and everyone that may hear this recording that you will teach us the lessons of humility and trust in Jesus, our Savior. That if we trust Jesus, our Savior, He'll drive out the devil. He'll free us from our captivities, from our destructions, from our sins. He'll bless us. And whether we feel you or not from day to day, sometimes we don't feel, we have to trust no matter what. We can't rely on our feelings. We have to rely on you and on your word. Lord, please bless us all. Get us ready for heaven. Save our family. Save our children. And may we be with you someday soon in a better land around the great white throne where we can see you and the nail scars in your hands and in your feet, Jesus, and know that you did all this so we could be with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast with Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel message with the world. You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting broadcasts just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, go to whitehorsemedia.com or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at Whitehorse7 or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media. PO Box 1139, Newport, Washington, 99156. Thanks for your support, and may God bless your day.